0: Peter is writing to the church, and what he is wanting to do is to be sure that the church is aware of the destructive heresies that are coming into the community of faith. Now, you know, we've talked about this many times at Woodland, the chapters and verses are not uh, in the original manuscripts. They were added much, much later by a monk who wanted to help us with memorizing the Scripture and being able to locate Scripture quickly. So they're very helpful to us, but they're not a part of the, uh, of the original letters. And so we flow, where Becky and I left off last week, we flow from how Peter tells us about how the Word was inspired by God, it was breathed out by God, how God used Holy men of old, he used their minds, he used their skill sets, he used their language. You know, they weren't taken over and dictated to, but they knew the word of the Lord and they left it for us as the inspired and also infallible word of God, the word without error. And so we we go right from that passage about the inspired word of the Lord and how Peter has been warning us about false teachers. And he now begins to warn us about false teachers and their destructive heresies. Now, here's something that a lot of times people don't think about. You know, heresy always comes riding in on the back of truth. That's how heresy has always entered into the church. Where there's a neglected truth, listen, that's important, where there's a neglected truth Heresy will come running, riding in on the back of that because somebody will discover that or they'll see something and they'll begin to teach it. And so it's important as a pastor that I preach the whole counsel of God. It's important that your pastor preaches the whole counsel of God. So it's one of the reasons that, especially on Wednesday nights, we preach right through the Bible. We just take a, a different book of the Bible, and we just and over the years we have just looked at so many books of the Bible, and then the Bible just shapes our preaching and our subjects and our topics. Now, this is not necessarily a topic that I would choose to preach on on a Sunday morning. I would do it, you know, if I felt the Holy Spirit saying, go there. I have done that before in times past where I'm thinking of one series of messages that I did because a heresy was entering into our community, and a lot of people were getting excited about it, not our faith community, but all of a sudden, two or three people in our church got all excited about this heresy, and it sounded good on the outside, and I won't identify that because it's been years ago now. But I preached an entire series of messages to deal with that one heresy. And the person that was most excited about it has expressed to me over and over again thanks for and gratitude for having corrected them before they got off into error that would have been costly to them and their family and to their faith. And so Paul is very, excuse me, Peter is very careful here to warn us about the destructive heresy. So let's start reading this evening. Pastor Mark has prayed for us. I'm going to pray again in just a few minutes, but I'm going to read and make a few comments and then we're just going to look at four applications of this tonight. But there were also false prophets in Israel. Now he's warned about the false prophets in the church, and now he says, but there were also false prophets in Israel. So this is nothing new. There have always been false prophets. There always will be until Jesus comes again. Just as there will be false teachers among you. Now, you ought to underline that in your Bible because nothing has changed. There are godly biblical teachers and preachers, but there are also false teachers. Now, notice this they will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. Now, that word cleverly, we've come back to that again. That's an important word. He's describing these teachers. You know, it's it's the kind of person that you wouldn't suspect when they first entered the church. You wouldn't suspect them, and unless there was something that you asked them in your membership interview, they would perhaps become a part of your congregation and a member of your congregation. And then after they're a member, while they're articulate, they're well-spoken, they're well-dressed, and... But then they be, they begin to dr- a draw a gathering around them and attract a gathering around them, and then suddenly they begin to teach something that is contrary to the word of the Lord. Not once, but several times through the years of my ministry, I've had to deal with these folks that either deny, deny the inerrancy of the word, or they say the word doesn't mean what it says, or sometimes they just bring a completely false doctrine and fortunately, I've always been able to intercept those at the path, so to speak, before they were able to infect the church. And so, this is one of the things that you have to see. They will cleverly teach. They look and appear as good leaders. And when it comes to leadership gifts, they have leadership gifts. That's the reason they gained a foothold within the church. But these leaders will eventually even deny the master who bought them. And you say, well, how could you deny Jesus who bought you? I mean, how does that even fit together? Well, there's a lot of people that have given their lives to Jesus. They've crossed the line and committed their lives to Christ. But then they've denied him. They've turned away from him. Most famously in our generation or in my generation was a man who became very well educated. He was a He traveled and worked with Billy Graham, but then he turned his back on God, and I showed a video clip of him one Sunday morning here at Woodland Church when we were uh, dealing with this kind of a subject, and he said, you know, he really regretted what he had done, but he lost his faith. And you say, is that possible that somebody can actually turn away and backslide? Well, of course, because the imagery being used here is the same imagery when God bought the children of Israel out of Egypt, he delivered them out of Egypt, and even though God saved them from slavery, God brought them through the Red Sea, God was getting ready to take them into the promised land, they still denied the Lord, they still backslid on God, and some of them were destroyed. So, let's keep reading here. They will cleverly teach uh, these leaders destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. And in this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. If there's anything that my friends who have not committed their life to Jesus, if there's any teaching of the Scripture they hate, they despise, and they don't even like to talk about, it's this issue of judgment, sudden destruction. Because when you bring that up, they go, oh, no, God can't be like that. And yet, these are the very same people who will ask me to pray for them when they've got to take a a bar exam, for example. Uh, These are the same people that will ask me to pray with them when they've got to take a medical exam or they've got to take a nursing exam. Sometimes there's students that I'm building relationships with, you know, and they just cannot accept. It's okay that they can fail a test, but not okay that they would fail in life But the Bible says that these people bring sudden destructions upon themselves or judgment upon themselves. But it's also interesting that many, and I would circle that word because Jesus warned us about that as well, many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And you say, why do they do that? Well, there's several reasons. First of all, some of these teachers, and let's just take some of the Uh, people who have promised you health and wealth and prosperity, if you just, quote, sow into their ministry and give to them, and they live this fabulous lifestyle with a private jet and a mega mansion of mega mansions, that you can enjoy this too if you just give to them. And so rather than learning how to work hard, learning how to manage your finances well as a good steward, they buy into this because this clever teacher who takes some real promises. God will bless you. God will prosper you as you are a faithful steward. But God is under no obligation that if you give him $1,000, he's going to pour $1 million back into your life. And so it's very important that you understand that every generation, listen, every generation has the sins of its age that it loves. And we're seeing in this generation Uh, One of the sins of this, this age is that people are willing to fire you if they disagree with you. People are willing to try and shut you down if you disagree with them because of their pet sin of the age. Every generation has a different sin of its age, and I've encountered this, you know, I have preached in over 30 different nations, I have encountered this in other nations, in other countries where I've preached at, where even different locales will have their favorite sin, and they guard that, so many will follow their evil teaching, their shameful immorality, and because they name the name of Jesus, then Christianity gets slandered. Christianity should not be slandered because of a false teacher's teaching and lifestyle. But unfortunately, it it is. If I was to be unfaithful to my wife or unfaithful to this church, if I was to be unfaithful to my Lord, many people would just simply begin to go, I told you it was all a sham. It was all a fake. Friends, Jesus is not a fake. I could fail you, but Jesus will never fail you. So, when a false prophet or a false teacher or, or even a good teacher fails, don't ever give up on the way. Well, there's just so much here to cover, so I need to keep reading. Well, in their greed, they will make clever lies to get up to get a hold of your money, but God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. For God, well, look, for God did not even spare the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell in gloomy pits of darkness where they were being held until the day of judgment. And God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. And later, God condemned the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into a heap of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. Would you circle that little phrase, tormented in his soul? He was tormented. And what Peter is doing, and this, this passage right here is why a lot of people don't like to read the book of Second Peter. It's why some preachers don't like to preach on, from the book of Second Peter. There's some wonderful promises here, but now Peter has to deal with some things that go right to the heart of the issue. These false teachers gather teachings, uh, or come up with teachings, and they gather people around themselves and their following and They live these shameful lifestyles. They lead people into error. And then suddenly you have somebody, and it doesn't matter how religious they look, I mean, they can wear a robe. They can wear a collar. They can burn incense. They can be the the nicest of cathedrals. But if they deny the Word of God, if they deny the Bible, beloved, they are not followers of Jesus Christ. They have created a Jesus of their own image and a Jesus of their own making, unless your God is the God of the Bible, you are not serving God. And again, it's what makes people so angry, but this is what Peter is warning against here. And he uses, look, he uses the angels, even they are judged. And he says, if the angels did not escape judgment, and if Sodom and Gomorrah did not escape judgment, What makes you think that you and I will escape judgment unless we stay faithful to the Word of God and stay faithful to the cross of Jesus Christ and unless we stay faithful to our confession of faith? And you know, I don't say any of this. This message is hard to preach. As a matter of fact, you know, Becky joins me most Wednesday nights here when we're online, but I just felt like this was a message I needed to kind of pull the wagon on here. It... it, It caused me great grief. I I feel what Lot is saying here, tormented in his soul. There's a good word for that, vexed. You know, I I look around, and I'm not angry at people who disagree with me. I get angry at the false teachers. I'll be honest with you about that. I've talked with some, and they say, well, I don't care what the Bible says. When you've tried to bring correction, and some of them have left us. Some of them have walked out from among us. And I've had them tell me, I don't care what the Bible says. They've told me in my study. They've told me here in the sanctuary when I've come in and invited them to come and pray with me. They've told me in restaurants. And the moment I hear that statement, I don't care what the Bible says. And I know that pride has entered in and that they have taken hold of something and something has taken hold of them that has got them in their grip. And John would say in his epistles, he said they were never part of us to begin with. In other words, they may have walked with us at one time like Demas walked with Paul, but they love something in this world. They love the position, the status, the wealth, the success that it can give them. I talked with a young pastor today about the difference between success and good success. So it's very important that you and I, we fast and we pray that we're not Hateful, that we're not condemning, uh, that we're not uh, calling people's names out, you know, and trying to condemn them, but we continue to preach the gospel. And that's what Becky and I were talking about last week. Bankers study real money so that they can immediately tell the difference between counterfeit and real money. And a lot of times, what I find out is people have studied books, they've studied teaching. Back in my day when I was younger, they've listened to tapes, or now they're listening to YouTube, and they're not studying their Bible. Nothing can ever replace studying the Word of God. And if you're at home, you ought to say a big amen to that right now. Nothing can ever replace having a daily devotional time. So I'm asking you a question tonight. Are you numb? Are you and I numb to the sin and the wickedness around us? Are we going to let people's taunts, are we going to let what people say silence us? Are we going to let the fear of, 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 of what a company might say or what a political party might say? That's the kind of intimidation that Christians are facing in America today. And you know, it's not just Christians in third world countries. It's not just Christians in China or Japan or Europe that are, are facing test of their faith, but you and I are facing test of their faith. For the moment we declare that God says that marriage is between a woman and a man, there's going to be somebody with a collar, there's going to be somebody, you know, in a, in a beautiful, uh, quote, charismatic church. There's one of those down in Florida that they're, quote, charismatic, and, and they say that, you know, the Bible can't be interpreted for our day, and so they take just the red letters of Jesus you know, Jesus preached from the Old Testament. And for some of these, I almost said something I shouldn't have said. I almost said these fat heads, And that would be wrong. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Don't do. But for these educated people who want to think they're smarter than Jesus, Jesus preached from the Old Testament. He helped us to understand that. And so it's very important that you and I, You know, we would not lose our courage. We're not going, I'm not going to be silenced. This church is not going to be silenced. We're going to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, I glory in the cross, and I'm always going to glory in the cross. And then if you look at this next verse, so you see the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. So one more time, you see Peter is just driving home this point of judgment. And friends, here's what I want you to get. God will keep you, and you can escape the judgment. You see, Noah preached. The Bible said Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Noah preached that judgment was coming. Noah preached with compassion. He preached with passion. He preached with power. And yet people would laugh at him and mock him until the day the rain came. And because of Noah's faith, eight people and, of course, the animals were saved on that ark. So judgment is inevitable, but it's not inescapable. Let me say that again. Judgment is inevitable, but it's not inescapable. And so when you look at this passage of Scripture, you need to see something really clearly. And you might want to write this down. The main thing is the plain thing. And the plain thing is always the main thing. So don't try to twist the Scriptures and pull something out of there that's not there. Don't try to put something in there. That's, you know, the main things of the Scripture, they're just as clear as a bell. You can see them. There are some difficult theological things that we have to grasp, grapple with sometimes. But the main thing is always the plain thing when it comes to the Bible. So I encourage you to, to read it and to study it. So let's look at four things tonight about heresy that I think you ought to know. Number one, heresies of the heart. When I read this passage and I see what the false teachers are teaching, then I realize that sometimes what's coming out of their, what's in our heart already is what comes out in a heresy. Sunday morning I used the illustration of although sin's power has been broken over us, there is this riptide that's underneath the surface. There's this current, and you don't feel it every day. I, I shared this story of how some friends and I were caught in a riptide off the coast of Florida one time. And how, we, how another friend of ours knew how we should swim against it. And, but it was tiring, and we all had to pull together to help one of our friends get back to the shore. But there is this riptide in our flesh, in our old selfish nature, And so look at what Paul said in the book of Galatians. He says, now the works of the flesh are now ourselves, you know, our our self-will, that part of ourselves that rebels against God. For instance, when I know I should forgive and I don't want to forgive, when I know I should give and I don't want to give, when I don't want to forgive, it's because of my pride, when I don't want to give, it's because of my greed. Or maybe when I know I should keep my eyes, you know, fastened on something pure and holy and maybe I'm tempted to look at something on my phone or my iPad that I should look at, then I have a choice, am I going to follow what Jesus says about a pure heart and a pure mind or am I going to give in to that riptide? And you see, what happens is sin always appeals to something that's good. Sin always appeals to something good. So, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery. What's the opposite of that? Faithful in your marriage, fornication, waiting until you're married, uncleanliness, cleanness, lewdness, idolatry. I won't read all of them, but notice the one word that I underlined in the Scripture to, in your outlines tonight, and that's the word heresies. heresies. These are all things that come right out of our heart. And Paul goes on to say, in the last part of that verse, as I also told you in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So when I feel that riptide, I'm very honest in my prayer life. I say, Lord, this is what I feel today. This is where my heart is being drawn. I remember a few years ago, actually maybe a decade and a half ago, I was having breakfast with one of my prayer partners, and I I was Struggling with a certain sin. They just, you know, I wasn't committing it, I wasn't giving into it, but there was this struggle that was going on. And so when we sat down to breakfast, I just confessed to my friend, I said, I need you to pray with me this week. This is what I'm dealing with. And you know, right there over breakfast, we were in a restaurant called Kate's Kitchen, not far from here. He took my hands and he prayed with me. And I discovered something so free by letting him know I was wrestling with something that was happening in my heart, and him praying with me, it was broken just like that. It, it snapped. I don't know how to say it, but the Bible says, listen, the Bible says that if we confess our sins to one another, now, I hadn't given into it. I want to make that clear. I hadn't given in to it, and it wasn't anything like, you know, adultery or something like that. It, it, was, I, it was just gone. It was broken. Confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. So be careful. Guard your heart with all diligence, the Bible says, for out of your heart are the issues of life. And, and I hope you still love me and respect me, but you know, when I tell you I have to struggle against those riptides as well, and if there's three things I don't want to do, I don't want to fail God, I don't want to fail my wife and family, and I don't want to fail this church. And so it's very important that we, we recognize there can be heresies that flow out of our heart. We can try to justify those. Secondly is heresies of hopelessness. When people give up hope, you know, when you lose hope that God doesn't heal because your loved one is not healed or wasn't healed, and you then say, well, God doesn't heal. Well, that's a heresy. God does heal. And even people who that have told me that they're cessationists, they don't believe that God heals anymore, they're reticent to say, well, I can't say that God never does heal because they know people that have been healed. But people get hopeless. And when people get hopeless with their marriage, then they begin to justify an affair. When people get hopeless with their children, they begin to ne- neglect, uh, they begin to uh, to. To justify neglecting their children. You see, hopelessness brings despair into our lives, and when despair comes, we want to maintain that religiosity. We want to maintain that Christian facade. Why were these false teachers in the church? They wanted to be a part of the church. Why have some of the people that I've had to deal with personally that have come to Woodland over the 21 years I've been there, your pastor? people that I had to deal with when I was in district office that sometimes was credentialed and and I would have to talk to them about things they were teaching or practicing that were not biblical or even in my other churches when I was younger. Why? Because they want the sense of community. They want Sometimes they want a sense of being looked up to. Sometimes they just want a sense of belonging. I'm looking right over here to my left for a number of years, a long time ago, there was a family that um, they loved, Becky and I, Uh, They spent time with us, and then one day they took issue with a particular doctrine. I was preaching through our 16 Fundamentals of Faith here on a Sunday morning, and uh, they took particular issue with it, and they just denied it. We went over the Scriptures, and it was that same statement. I don't care if it's in the Bible. I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to practice that. And So, you know, they broke fellowship with us. Uh, It's just... When hopelessness comes, then you begin to justify, and there was a hopeless area in their life, and I don't want to say much more than that. There was an area in their life that they had become hopeless in, and because God had not done what they wanted him to do in their life, then they could no longer believe one of those fundamental core doctrines of our church, which is a core doctrine of many, many other churches as well. Then there's the heresies of, oh, let me read you this verse of Scripture. When I begin to lose hope, you already know what I'm experiencing. So if you're feeling hopeless tonight, God knows what you're going through. Do you think Jesus might have ever felt hopeless? I do. I think in his, 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 his incarnation, he might have had to deal with the hopelessness that comes and just get before the Father and pray. We know there were nights that he cried with loud crying and many tears. I mean, the Bible's clear about that. We know there were nights that he was vexed in his spirit because of the sin and the hardness of heart. Do you think that he ever felt hopeless? Well, I'm sure he did, but he strengthened himself in the word. Look at this next verse, and I think this will help you understand why I'm using Jesus as an example. My enemies have hidden a trap for me on the path where I walk. Think how often the enemies of Jesus would lay a trap for him. And I think one of the remarkable keys to the success of Jesus in his ministry was that he would spend those long nights in prayer. I believe you would have found Jesus in our, second, in our Saturday night prayer services. I know he's with us when we pray because we sense him and we're praying in his name. The third thing is the heresies of lovelessness. The heresies of lovelessness, of a loveless world. When there is lovelessness in the world When there's lovelessness in a marriage, when there's lovelessness in a church, a cold and indifferent church, or if you have a cold and indifferent company atmosphere, sir, ma'am, if you own your own business and you're just using your employees like they're cogs in a machine, if you treat your employees like that, there's lovelessness there. And so they will begin to grumble. They will begin to gripe. They will begin to look for ways to, to bring dissension lovelessness in a church is the worst thing that can happen. Because of a loveless world, said Jesus, because of a loveless world is a sightless world, if anyone loves me, he will carefully keep my word and my father will love him and we will move right into the neighborhood. Friends, nothing is more despicable than a loveless church. There was a great church in the book of Revelation. I mean, Jesus commended them for a lot of things, but he says, I'm a about to take away your candle, your illumination. I'm about to take away your place because you've abandoned your first love. A church of all places ought to be filled with the qualities of a first 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 love experience. And then heresies of faith, heresies of faith. In the beginning, the Word already existed. Now listen, this is important. The Word was with God, The Word was God, He existed in the beginning with God. Now, let's look at that. We know who the Word is if you've read the book of John. The Word is Jesus. So, Jesus is God God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three in one. I explained this to our church just recently as saying that number one. God the Father is God without skin, God is spirit, God the Son is God with skin, Jesus the incarnation, Jesus came and was born of the Virgin Mary, and then God the Holy Spirit who lives within us is God within our skin. So they are three, but they're one. They're not three separate gods. But John is being real careful. He wants the people he's writing to to get this. The Word was with God, the Word was God, He existed in the beginning with God. Look at the next verse. We're skipping all the way down to verse 14. So the Word became human. There's God in skin. The Word became human and made his home among us. How? By becoming human, by having a body. Jesus Christ, who moved and lived and walked among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. I'm running out of time, so stay with me here. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. Now, friends, I know so many people that these four passages I've just read to you, they are so offensive to them. How could God become a man? Number one, their finite mind cannot grasp the infinite mind of God. So if the infinite power and the infinite possibilities of God can't fit within their finite mind, they're not going to accept it. Well, God's never going to fit in your little box and my little wheelhouse. God is God. Second, there were people today, just like there were people in in Peter's day and in Paul's day, who just believed that God could not become flesh because this flesh is evil. And the Greeks and the Romans taught that, that, that the the way to achieve perfection was to put off this flesh and, and that then when you put off this flesh, then you would achieve perfection. Dying doesn't bring perfection. Putting your faith in Jesus Christ brings perfection. And it doesn't mean you're perfect now, and I'm definitely not perfect now, but the fact is, is that Jesus Christ became human and lived among us. Yes, that means his feet got dirty, that means he got sweaty, that means that Jesus was just as human as you and I but without sin and he was born of the Virgin Mary and boy you see the supernatural just can always get some people there are some people who say look I can accept the Jesus of history but I cannot accept the Jesus of the Bible friends the Jesus of history is the Jesus of the Bible born of a virgin lived a sinless life performed miracles died for your sins, was buried. On the third day, he arose again. He ascended to the Father, and one day he's coming back again. Hallelujah. Isn't that powerful? So don't ever let anybody water down or cheapen who Jesus is. Remember, they were denying the faith. That's the reason I'm bringing it out. Well, let's wrap this up tonight and have a word of prayer. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the whole package. It was right there. Well, I hope this helps you tonight to understand by just kind of breaking out some things from reading those first nine verses that are important to understanding the rest of the book. And it just ties Second uh, Peter chapter one. Now you see how that's tying together. You saw when we just finished First Peter, the whole book of First Peter, he was talking about these false teachers, and he has to write a second letter, and this time it's like he's really bringing the hammer down, okay? He's really saying, all right, you know, the first time maybe some of you didn't listen well, this time I'm gonna drive this point home. And so he's laying the hammer down because he wants the church to survive. False teachers will destroy the church. False teachers will lead people astray. False teachers will ignore sin. False teachers will justify sin. We don't condemn people for their sin but we don't justify sin i say this to our church sometimes if you sin we're going to rally around you we're going to pull around you but we're never going to say there there that's okay we're going to say, go you know what we love you and we're going to walk through this thing with you if i sin please don't stone me just come to me and hold me accountable and say pastor we love you but we're going to get through this thing together and when you're facing something, Learn the power of having a prayer partner. Talk to your wife. And Yes, I talk to Becky when I'm struggling with things. Talk to your wife. Talk to your prayer partner. Say, I need you to pray with me about this because it breaks the power. God says there's healing in that. Well, I hope this has been a blessing to you tonight. Um, I want you to join me in prayer. I want to pray for the family in our church that lost their husband, their father. This week, a good man, one of my best friends. We have walked together as friends and in faith. I've been his pastor for 21 years. And, you know, heaven has really gained a soul. I mean, gained, a, in my words, one of my heroes. And, you know, he lived his life. He lived his life. And I read this verse last night over him and with his family. He lived his life like being poured out as a drink offering. He would have never compared his life to the sacrifice of Jesus. But for the 21 years I knew him, he lived his life, pouring it out for the glory of God, working hard, taking care of his family, sharing his faith all the time. Great coach, great teacher, always in these altars with us on Saturday nights praying someone that i'm going to really miss and tonight there's a big hole left in that family and a big hole left in our hearts here at the church so join me in prayer this evening father i thank you i thank you for a life well lived i thank you that when those eyes were closed last night that instantly my dear brother was in the presence of jesus christ lord like me he's known all about you like me, Lord, he's known you. you. You saved him. You forgave him of his sins. You filled him with your Holy Spirit. But, Lord, when he closed his eyes, suddenly he was with Jesus. And I envy him tonight, Lord. He was with you. He doesn't just know you. He just doesn't know about you. But tonight he's with you. And, Lord, how wonderful it is for me to be able to go home and be with my wife tonight. And how wonderful it must have been for my dear brother and friend to go home to heaven to be with you last night. So I pray that you will comfort and heal his wife, heal their children, heal their family, pour your spirit of grace out upon them, comfort them. With this thought that one day we too can be in heaven, Lord, with him. Jesus, I ask you to help them to grieve, but to grieve with hope. And I ask you to help us to honor you as we remember his life. For it's in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen and amen. Hey, if you've got any questions about what I've taught tonight, be sure and drop me an email or contact me. Um, I don't use Facebook Messenger a lot, so I went on there today and I got a gazillion Facebook messages. Messenger, I think is what they call it. I really don't use that, but if you do want to send a message there, I'll do my best. I don't know when I'll get to it, but you know, you can always send me a message right here at office at Church. And if you haven't given yet, or tithed yet this week, friends, God does bless you for giving. He does prosper and increase us. So let me encourage you to tithe and to bring your missions offering, or any other offerings that you'd like to. You can give to Woodland Church tonight simply by going to woodland.church and clicking give, or you can text 77977 and use the keyword Woodland Church, no space, no letters, just Woodland Church, and you can give that way as well. We love you. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. I'll see you Sunday.